Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter, where are we at? What, what chapter? Just, just checking. Verses 1 through 10. You got it. All right, let's go ahead and read this together. Then we're going to pray and dive into this passage. Starting with verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to preach to you this morning on the title, Seeking the Lost. Let's pray, and let's dive in. Father, we thank you once again for this time that we might gather here. We thank you for your word. I pray, God, that as I preach this text, that you will help me preach it with passion and with truth. I pray that I will preach your word and not just my ideas. I pray that as it is received, it will be received with repentance, joy, passion, and response. We pray, God, that we would respond to your word in the same way that Zacchaeus responded to the word made flesh, that we would follow him. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday, we had about 100 youth from out of town come into our neighborhood and uh, help us with an outreach. And so first of all, for those of you that helped with the outreach last Sunday, thank you for that. Uh, it was freezing, and it was cold, and it was raining, and uh, you guys all survived. Amen? Some are not here. <laughs> Pray for them. Um, at the end of the outreach... I realized I didn't have my, my iPhone. And I, I've just, I just bought this iPhone not too long ago. And uh, I picked up, picked up some kids in a parking lot over here at Angelo's apartment, Pedestal Gardens, driving back to our location on Pennsylvania Avenue where we're meeting, and I realized I don't have my phone. Now, what do you do when you can't find your iPhone? Well, first of all, time stops. 
Everything pauses. People don't matter anymore. You need to find your iPhone. And so I immediately drove back to the parking lot where I picked up some kids and looked around the parking lot. I didn't see it there. I, I had Mark call my phone, kept calling it. I had Mark call Jess, ask Jess to track it for me. I go back to the sidewalk where I had parked the car initially. I don't see it all on the sidewalk. The, the team is is dismissing the youth and they're being escorted back to the metro and I just walk by them and I don't even say thanks for coming or I don't even see them. And somebody says, did you find it yet? And I said, no, with a frantic no. And I finally go back in the room and there it was in a box. I put it there accidentally. Amen. <laughs> now, when we, when we lose something that we value, we seek it earnestly, and I am sometimes ashamed at how I seek something like an iPhone with such tenacity, and I seek the lost in such a casual fashion. Here's a simp my simple point today. We are to follow Jesus Christ, and if we're to follow Jesus Christ in all of our life, then that means we are to be seeking the lost. And if we're to follow Jesus Christ, we need to be seeking the lost with at least much tenacity as we would seeking a lost iPhone. With that much strategy. With that much passion. With that much diligence. So I want to talk to you today on this theme that we see here in this passage, seeking the lost. Are you seeking the lost? We see right there in verse 10 the purpose that Jesus came. He says, for the Son of Man came. For what purpose? To seek and to save the lost. Now, first, we have to stop and say, thank you. Thank you, God, that you sent your Son to seek and to save the lost because we were lost. We were the lost that He sought. And He's been with us all the way. We've been celebrating this morning the way that God has, has, has kept us through 2019. I know for some of you, 2019 has not been a good year. It's been a tough year. It's been a challenging year for some. But He's been with you. Here you are. The same God that was with you in 2019 is going to be with you in 2020. And as we begin our first Sunday of 2020, we could talk about a bunch of different things. I want to talk this morning about the, the main reason, the central purpose for Jesus becoming incarnate, meaning God becoming man. Why did Jesus become man? It's so that He might seek us. So that He might seek and save the lost. Some people think of Christianity as merely a message of judgment. 
And let's be honest, there are some Christians that think of Christianity as merely a message of judgment. And you see it in the way that they behave. You see it in the way that they look down on others. You see it in the way that they despise the lost. They despise the broken. They despise the addict. They despise the hustler. Now, we're going to look at a man today who was despised. He is, for all practical purposes this morning, the definition of what it means to be lost. And it's easy for us, I've been trying to work with you on this lately, to get you to see it's easy for us to think that we would quickly be on the side of the despised if we were living back then. But we forget that the despised were despised for real reasons. They hurt people. They were people of injustice. They were people who, if they walked in, you would say, I I don't know if I want to be affiliated with this individual. I don't know if I want this person walking out of my house because of how people might view me if they see that. He, he is the despised. We're called to reach out to the despised. What we see in this text then is this. The primary message of Christianity, while it, it does include judgment, don't get me wrong, that's part of it, but the primary message of Christianity is not a message of judgment on the lost. The primary message of Christianity is a message of salvation for the lost. Notice Jesus does not say, I came to judge. And how many are glad he did not come to judge? Jesus says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost from, I'm adding to this, but from his judgment. The man that we're talking about here, his name is Zacchaeus. Everybody say, Zacchaeus. How many of you ever heard of the, this man, Zacchaeus? I'm just curious. All right, he's, he's sort of a, a famous little guy in Christian circles. He was uh, a tax collector, we discover, in Jericho. So Jesus, in verse 1 is, is now in, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he enters, he's in the city of Jericho. The setting for this story is kind of interesting, because Jericho was a major trade city with a lot of taxes being paid. It would have been a very lucrative city to be a tax collector. And not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector in Jericho, but in verse 2, we see that he is the chief tax collector, which means he's the boss. He's the tax collector of tax collectors. This dude would have been well-known. But not only would he have been well-known, he would have been notorious. Why? A reminder, tax collectors. Tax collectors were not considered to be uh, upright individuals. They were first sellouts of their own people. They were typically Jews. Zacchaeus was probably a Jew himself working for the empire of Rome. 
collecting taxes from his own people. And not only are they sellouts, but they were known to be frauds. There was no accountability for tax collectors, and they could collect however much they want. We know that Zacchaeus was rich, and we're going to see later on in the text that he had defrauded people. Zacchaeus would have been known in Jericho, and he would have been despised in Jericho. That's the character we're dealing with today. In chapter 18, you might remember that we looked at another rich ruler. What we're going to see in Zacchaeus is he's almost the opposite of this rich ruler. This rich ruler in chapter 18, if you remember, he came to Jesus and he was unwilling to put Jesus above the, the, the world's goods. And he walked away with sorrow. Now, in contrast to that, next chapter there's another rich man and he is a man who is seeking Jesus. He's a man who is going to put Jesus before all the world can give him. Zacchaeus is, has much more in common with the tax collector we also find in chapter 18 in the temple who cries out under the weight of conviction, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Zacchaeus is a man who has tasted the world and he has found it to be sour. He's a man who has filled his pockets with riches and has found them to be empty and he is searching for something more. Verse 3, he was seeking. He was seeking what? He was seeking to see Jesus. Now there was a problem. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Or as it says in verse 3, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He found himself unable to see over the heads of the people. Let's sum up what we know. Here's a despised individual, a boss tax collector, seeking Jesus. Something's going on in his heart. He's feeling the weight of something. And he wants to see this one. But he can't because he's short. And because he's not very well liked, you know nobody's letting him in front. Everybody's kind of like spreading their arms a little bit. Making themselves as wide as possible. Stay back there, little man. We don't even want Jesus to see you. You're a sinner. We're ashamed that you're even in our city. So Zacchaeus has an idea. He climbs up in a sycamore tree. There's a tree by the side of the road. It's, they're easy to climb. Simple part of the narrative. He climbs up into the tree to get above the heads of the people so that he might get a glimpse of Jesus. And this, this brings us to the climax of the story. As Jesus encounters this notorious individual, what is Jesus' response going to be? 
as Jesus comes across this man that everybody would hate? How is Jesus going to speak to him? Maybe Jesus will just walk on by and pretend he doesn't see him. Maybe Jesus will rebuke him. Maybe Jesus will join in the despised. That's really where the tension is in this text. And so let's go on. Jesus, verse 10, He comes for this purpose, and that is what? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now remember as we study this, Jesus is our model. Like there's two big applications here that we're going to work with. One is the fact that we are the lost He came to seek and to save. The other is since He came to seek and to save us, the lost, and He's called us in Matthew 28 into the Great Commission to go therefore and make disciples of Him, then we are called following His example to do what? To seek and to save. Well, to not save, but to seek the lost so that they might be saved. i got to be theologically correct there. So question, how do we seek the lost? Well, let's look at his model first. First, we seek the lost through seeing them. We seek the lost through seeing them. Have you ever heard of inattentional blindness? I just, just heard of it uh, yesterday. I read this study uh, by uh, 24, or a number of researchers at the, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and they studied what they called inattentional blindness. Here was their study. They took 24 radiologists. These are the people that study uh, 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 x-rays and look for cancer. They took 24 radiologists. And they gave each of them five lung scans. And the radiologists were told to locate the, the, the cancer nodules in the lung scans. Now, in the fifth and final scan, the researchers inserted a gorilla 24 times the size of any cancer nodule just to see if they would notice the gorilla. 83% of the radiologists did not see the gorilla. The crazy thing is this. The, the researchers, they, they were able to track the eye movement of these radiologists. And what they discovered was that the radiologists actually looked right at the gorilla, but they didn't see it. And they call this, the researchers call this inattentional blindness. Their, their summary of this said this, they could not see it because their brains had framed what they were doing. What we focus on becomes the center of our world. Because their brains were focused on trying to find the cancer nodules, they didn't see a gorilla 45 times the size of a cancer nodule. Now, a lot of times when I'm talking to church members or leading a class on evangelism, I often ask the question, why don't you evangelize? Or what keeps you from sharing the gospel? What keeps you from telling others about Jesus? And probably the most common response I get is, I just don't have any opportunities. Some 
even say, I don't know anybody, I'm not friends with anybody who is not a Christian. And I've got to wonder, are we dealing with inattentional blindness? Are we so focused on our desires? Are we so focused on our dreams? Are we so focused on what we can get in this world? Are we so focused on just paying the bills, making it to the end of the day? We're so focused on these things that our brains form what our eyes actually see and we don't see the lost that are right in front of us. So what I see in the text is this. Look at verse Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, what are the next three words? He looked up. This is just a small little detail that I don't want to pass over too quickly. When Jesus got to the tree, he saw Zacchaeus. He saw this opportunity. He saw a man. He noticed a man who had gone a little extra mile, a couple branches up to try to see him. Maybe Jesus had known of Zacchaeus already. Maybe he was famous in the area. We don't know. But what we do know is this, is Zacchaeus was despised. He was forced into the back. But Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him, and that's got to encourage us because your only hope in life and in death is to be seen by Jesus Christ. Your only hope is that God might look on you and notice you so that you might be saved. Therefore, church, we've got to see the lost. Who's crying out around you? What person is asking some good questions? What person is showing some interest in faith? What person has hit rock bottom in your life? What person might be starting to realize that they don't know where they are, that they might be lost in life? Who is ignored? Who is ripe? For the gospel. Are you glad that Jesus saw you? Our only hope is that we might be seen by God. Praise God that He has looked upon us. What a Savior He is to look at me while still a sinner. Before I cleaned up. He looked at you while you were in all of your stuff. That's when he looked at you. He didn't wait for you to get things together. No, he looked at you as a sinner and he turned you into a saint. What a savior he is. So saint, question, do you see the lost? Secondly, we seek the lost not just through seeing them, but through speaking to them. We seek the lost through speaking to them. Going on in the text, it says in verse 5, He looked up and He said, let's just stop right there. Jesus said, He spoke. Yeah. You know, some people might have been content with a smile. Here comes Jesus 
and he looked at me and he smiled. And you go home and you tell your kids and your grandkids about that and that, that goes on for generations in your family that, that you got a smile from this rabbi. Or others might be content if he just stopped for a moment and gave you a blessing. Maybe just put his hand on you. But Jesus didn't just smile. We don't even know if he smiled. He may have. He didn't just give Zacchaeus a blessing. Jesus spoke in such a way that was strategic and intentional. And again, church, if we are called to follow Jesus as our model, we've got to not just see, but we've got to speak. It's not enough to just be a a, a smiling, friendly individual. It's not enough to give a what's up nod. We've got to break the ice with our coworkers. We've got to break the ice with our neighbors. We've got to break the ice with our family members. We've got to break the ice, kids, with with your fellow students at school. We've got to break the ice with the people at the market. We've got to break the ice with the people on the corner. And we've got to speak because the gospel is given to us in words. We cannot share the gospel without using words. And so we must use our words to tell people about Jesus Christ and the hope that they have in Him. We've got to be intentional with our words. We've got to speak. Thirdly, we seek the lost through staying with them. We seek the lost through seeing them, through speaking to them, and through staying with them. Let's let's look at Jesus' response to Zacchaeus. When he saw Zacchaeus, he looked up and he said, this is what he said, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house. Notice he says, I must stay. He doesn't say, I would like to stay. He doesn't even ask, is it okay if I stay at your house? This is connected with verse 10. Jesus is on mission. Even where he stays. Think about this. Part of, my, part of my job throughout the year is occasionally traveling. I've got to go places. And when I go somewhere, I think about where, I'm, where am I going to stay when I get there. And I usually determine where I'm going to stay based on my friendship with, the, with an individual, based on whether or not there's a bed or a floor that I have to sleep on or an air mattress. I'd rather sleep on the floor. You know what I'm saying? If I'm going to stay in a hotel, I'd like to have a pool, maybe a hot tub. Like, I've got pretty regular values as it relates to where I'm going to stay. Jesus was on mission to the degree that even when he moved, even where he stays, he's thinking about his mission. He's thinking about verse 10 as he looks at Zacchaeus. And Jesus, having this divine sovereignty and knowledge, knew Zacchaeus already. He probably already planned to stay with this guy. And when he sees him, he connects where he's going to sleep that night with his mission in verse 10, and he says to Zacchaeus, I've got to do this. You need to come out of the tree because I can't stay with you if you're in the tree. So come down, 
because I must stay. The word stay means to unhitch. It means to, it's sort of like a, we're, we're, we're lodging here for the night. This is going to be his landing place in Jericho. He stays with Zacchaeus. Now, this is where it gets really good. And this is where we get to our climax of the story. Because when the, when the crowd hears this, and Zacchaeus in verse 6, he comes down and receives him joyfully. The crowd sees all of this in verse 7. And it says, when they saw it, they all, what? Grumbled. Now think about it. We have a religious elite in this crowd. We've got the rabbis and the teachers in this crowd. Probably people who were very famous in their day for being religious. Jesus didn't stay at their house. He didn't stay with them. Jesus chose a sinner. A broken individual. A despised individual. He chose a lost individual. And he said, when I go to this city, I know exactly who I'm staying with. It's Zacchaeus. And they grumbled. 2,000 years later, we don't know any of the names of the religious elite in that city. What name is famous in Christian circles 2,000 years later? It's the name Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a sinner despised individual who met Jesus, who responded in faith to Jesus. When Jesus said, I must go with you, Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy. Family, you may be despised in this world. Have you received Jesus with joy? In so many ways, what we see in Zacchaeus, he actually becomes for us a model Christian. This despised individual in verse, verse 8 is a, is a person now who is broken by his sin and is responding with repentance. We don't know exactly when this takes place in the narrative. Luke, Luke is telling this story so quickly. This could have come later in the day. It could have come as Jesus was departing. But at some point, Zacchaeus stands and he says to the Lord, behold, the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Cindy brought four pens with her this morning and said, I'm returning pens that I took from the church. And I said, Cindy, you should have brought 16 <laughs> if you were following the model of Zacchaeus. Now look at, this, look at this repentance that we see in this individual. He's not saved, by the way, by his works. Jesus goes on and he assures him in, in verse 9, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus is recognizing something that has already happened to Zacchaeus before he responds with these works. Jesus is showing us something that is very biblical and very true, and that is this, by their fruit you will know them. Jesus is saying essentially, Zacchaeus, I see your repentance. I see your change. I now know you're a Christian. Salvation has come to this house. Salvation. This grand idea among Israel. That God is going to save His people one day from their sins and from the enemy. This one individual 
The most unlikely in the town, in their minds, to be a recipient of salvation. Jesus says, out of all people in Jericho, salvation has come to this house. For he is a son of Abraham. He's not just simply affirming his Jewishness. But he is connecting that with what Paul says about uh, every single one of us in the book of Romans. And he says, for all who are in faith are true Israelites. Jesus is saying he is a son of Abraham, not just simply by his bloodline, not just simply because of his ethnicity. He's a son of Abraham because he is a man of faith. And so Zacchaeus then, as a response to his faith in Jesus Christ, unlike the rich man in chapter 18, Zacchaeus responds with repentance. He's acquired his wealth in in dirty ways. And so 50% of it he's giving to the poor. And he's going to go through a list and every single person that he can think of that he defrauded, he's going to pay them back four times what he took from him. What we see is is simply this, that repentance is the response to our faith in Jesus Christ. We have faith in Christ and we, we turn and we follow him. I woke my eyes They were filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and I went forth and I followed thee. Now, here's the point I'm chasing after. The reason all of this comes about is because Jesus chose to stay with Zacchaeus. He got intentional about how he was going to spend his time when he got to Jericho. And I've got to ask ourselves this question. Do we believe Luke chapter 5, verse 32? I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Do we spend our time strategically with sinners? Who do you stay with? And I don't necessarily mean every night of the week. I'm not saying you have to find the worst person in town next time you go out of town instead of staying in a hotel or with a friend. But, but in, in, in your regular life, are you intentional about how you live your life? Are you intentional about building relationships with those who are the Zacchaeuses of the world? I think it's okay to get in trouble because of who you associate with. I think it's okay for people to think that you might be out on these streets buying something because you're always hanging with the people that do. I think it's okay to have the feds and the DEA watching your door because they're seeing drug dealers come in and out. A little concerned. I'm just saying if we're following Jesus, I think it's okay to hang intentionally with immoral people. Now, I don't say to do so in a way that's going to draw you down. Remember, Zacchaeus is a man who's broken. Zacchaeus is a man who is looking for something more. He's a man who's come to the end of his rope. Those are the people that we're after. Those are the opportunities we're looking for. Who are the people that are crying in life? Who are the people that realize they need something more? Who are the people that realize they are lost? They are lost. 
We've got to be intentional and stay with sinners, with the broken, with the despised of society. This is one of the reasons we want to, in 2020, continue to build a ministry right here. It's to just simply be intentional in this neighborhood. This is one reason that so many of you church members have moved into this neighborhood. It's just a way to be intentional about our mission. It's the reason we want to plant and revitalize other churches in Baltimore City. Among the broken, among the poor, among the despised. Because we want to be intentional about this mission that we are on. Let me close with one more lesson. Number four, we seek the lost through steering them. We see them, we speak to them, we stay with them, and we seek the lost through steering them. I had to come up with an S. Guide might have been a better word. Sharing Jesus with them would have worked as well. As you get on 395, you're heading out of the city south. There's this critical moment as you hit 95, sign that says 95 south to the left, or 95 north to the right. If you're trying to go to D.C., you want to get on what? 95 south. If you miss the sign, you end up going on 95 north, which takes you on this massive bridge, sightseeing, Baltimore, and through the tunnel. You don't want to go 95 north if you're trying to get to D.C. Listen, here's my point. People want direction in life. People are looking for signs. People want to know what is the right way to go. Where do I go? People want to know, am I going in the right direction? Now listen, church, sometimes it can feel um, unwelcome or imposing of us to try to talk to somebody about Jesus. But I just want you to know, people want to be led. They want direction. You know, some genius saw 395 and thought, we should put some signs here. We should probably put a sign far enough out that says 95 North. And what if we put another one pointing to the left and says 95 South? That person loved many people. Amen? <laughs> Whoever they were. Or they could have just said, nah, I don't want to impose. I mean, people are going where they're going. Who am I to tell them D.C. is this way? Listen, in 2020, church, you could sit on the sidelines and let any fool put up signs because fools will. Or you could be a leader and you could speak you could speak truth. You could speak truth with love. And you could guide the lost. You could guide the lost to Jesus.
Our message is not a message of judgment. It's a message of salvation. Zacchaeus is a man who knew what it was like to collect debt. He knows how to do this. But Zacchaeus was also a man who knew what it was like to have a great debt of guilt. A great debt of sin. Zacchaeus is a man, you, you, you couldn't tell just by looking at him. But he was a man looking for the signs. He was a man looking for direction. What do I do about the guilt in my life? What do I do about my sorrows? How can I ever stand before a holy God knowing who I am? He was a man craving leadership and direction. And there are people in your life just like Zacchaeus who are lost, who know what it's like to feel a weight of guilt, a debt that they cannot pay. Now in this story, Jesus eats with sinners, but soon in the book of Luke, Jesus will die for sinners. How is it that the Son of Man comes to save? I think, I think it's interesting in this story. I, I, just think, I think it's part of the narrative, but I think it's interesting. Jesus told Zacchaeus to come down out of a tree. And the book ends with Jesus being nailed to a tree. Zacchaeus comes down so that he might meet Jesus, the one who is going to be nailed to another tree to die on the cross for his sins. Jesus not only lived this righteous life, he not only taught the perfect message. Jesus, Jesus gave his life so that your friends, family members, so that you and I might be saved. He gave His life to die the death that we should have died. To pay the debt of sins that Zacchaeus could never pay. Zacchaeus discovers as he meets the Savior that his sins are forgiven. The man who knew how to collect debts but couldn't deal with his own debt finds a Savior who cancels his debt of sin. Are you glad that Jesus came not as judge but as Savior? Do you know that Jesus is the Savior that cancels the debt of sin? Do you know that Jesus has sought you? Do you know that He has bought you with His redemptive blood? He is the only Savior. Church, trust in Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Look to Him. Cling to Him. Find your hope in Him. I like introducing my friends to other friends. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when I have a friend that visits me from out of town, I like going around and introducing my, my friend to all of you. Montreal, meet this person. Rob, meet this person. Angelo, meet this person. Anna, meet this person. It's because I like this person. And I think that you would like this person. I think they're worth meeting, right? This is all we're doing. We're introducing our friends to Jesus Christ. 
And just in case you forgot, let me remind you how good of a friend He is. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a friend that did for you what you could not do for yourself. He is a friend that you despised. He's a friend that you at one time ignored. He's a friend that you hurt. And He laid down His life. He's a friend that died for you. And He's with you. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And if He rose, if your friend rose, and you're with Him, what hope do you have? You too will one day rise from the dead. Yes, Jesus ascended to be with the Father, but before He left, He looked at His followers and He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You're meeting with Him this morning. He's here. He has come to stay with you. This is the kind of friend He is. He's with you. He will be by your side. Throughout all of 2019, He was by your side. As you had challenges, as you had losses, He was by your side. And as we move forward into the new year, church, He will be by your side. He will stand by you until the end. As you work this week, by the sweat of your brow, He will stand by you. As you suffer loss, in 2019, as, as you might find yourself poor before the year ends, He'll stand by you. As you do well, as you gain riches, He'll stand by you. As you go about your day, as you just try to make ends meet, as you just try to get through, He'll stand by you. As you do your best and you're misunderstood, He'll stand by you. As you're persecuted, He'll stand by you. As you're abused, He'll stand by you. As, you. as you're neglected, He'll stand by you. As you're ignored, He'll stand by you. As your health fails you, He'll stand by you. Kids, as you grow and as you de deal with challenges, He'll stand by you as well. As you take that test that you don't want to take, He'll stand by you. As you go into that meeting that you don't want to go into, He'll stand by you. As a friend or a family member passes away, He'll stand by you. And even if 2020 is the year that you will die, He'll stand by you. He'll stand by you until the end, and one day He will raise you from the dead. Church, is He a good friend? Has He ever done you wrong? Has He ever disappointed you? Listen, look to Him. Look to Him. Find your hope in Him. Find your identity in Him. And introduce your friends to Jesus because He is the hope of the world. Let's be on mission in 2020. Because what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Father, we thank You that Jesus is this kind of friend. I thank you, God, that he stood by in 2019 and he will follow us into 2020. He will be with us. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I pray, God, that we will be on mission, seeking the lost 
and introducing them to the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.